0: John chapter 1. We're going to finish it today. It's a long chapter, 51 verses. As I was thinking about it, this is probably another book that will take us a couple years to get through. But that's okay. As I've said before, there's nothing like a good juicy steak, but you can only eat it one bite at a time, right? can't bite off more than you can chew. And so I try to cover every single verse as much as possible, so it does take some time. <clears throat> in fact, I'm not even going to read through this passage. It's kind of long. I'm just going to start right in, so let's pray. Father God, thank you for again for this wonderful book of John, the Gospel of John. The disciple whom Jesus loved. The one to whom he entrusted the care and keeping of his mother, Mary. And Lord, once again, we ask your blessing upon this time of study in Your Word. Lord, give us insight and understanding, we pray, and application for our own lives as we strive to be like Jesus and to live out the lives here on earth that He has called us to live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. This is the day after... We read about in verse 29 where John publicly proclaimed Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the next day after that, he's there with two of his disciples. And remember we discussed this last week as well, that prior to the public revealing of Jesus, which took place here by the Jordan River, by the way, John had already amassed a following of his own. He had disciples before Jesus had disciples. And some of John's disciples became disciples of Jesus. See, mankind has had an inner hunger for spiritual truth since the beginning of time. They, it just manifests in many different ways. But people are drawn to someone who exhibits an empowerment or an anointing from God like John the Baptist and then Jesus coming after him but the pitfall here is that many if not most are drawn to those with either openly or secretly re- they secretly represent the dark side. And so it's not enough for someone to be have charisma to be charismatic Uh, to be eloquent, to be physically attractive, perhaps. In fact, we know the Bible says just the opposite about Jesus. He did not have physical attractiveness, and that was on purpose because God did not want people to be drawn to him for his good looks. And I can't remember, I can't think of how many times I've heard people say that about politicians and pastors and so forth, that their number one... uh, quality that draws their attention to them as their physical attractiveness. That's what happened with King Saul, remember? The Israelites demanded a king. God says, I'm your king. No, 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 we want to be like all the other nations. We want an earthly king. And that's when things started to go downhill. And so they chose Saul because he was head and shoulders above every man in the land. He was the tallest I've shared this before, but way back in the early days of the church, we had a radio program before we had our TV program on what used to be known as K-Light. I think it's K-N-K-T today. Um, <clears throat> we'd have people show up at church. We heard you on the radio, wanted to come and check out your church, but we sure thought you were a lot taller. True story. Sorry to disappoint you. But people were drawn to John because he did have an anointing from God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's also that danger that people are often drawn to. In fact, that's what's going to happen with the Antichrist. You don't think he's going to be a dud, do you? Some of these prophetic movies I've been watching lately, Adolf Hitler always comes into the picture, of course. Because he's the most graphic example in modern times of what the Antichrist might be like. He wasn't, in my opinion, a necessarily attractive man, as it were, but then I'm not attracted to men in that way. Aren't you glad? But perhaps in his time, I don't know, but he definitely was charismatic. And I, one guy gave a testimony of going to one of Hitler's rallies and how he went there as a skeptic. He was not a Hitler supporter, worshiper, but the nature of his speech was such that the guy felt himself being drawn in, being sucked in, and it took every ounce of strength he had to fight off the urge to just join right in. How many times do you think that has happened with people going to hear false teachers false spiritual leaders, all these Eastern gurus, these New Agers and so forth, there's more than one kind of anointing. There's the anointing from God, which is the real deal, the good kind, the kind that you want to be exposed to, and there's a false anointing that comes from the powers of darkness. Here, with John and with Jesus, it's the right kind, it's the Spirit of God. But I just wanted to point that out. John had disciples, men who were following after him because they recognized in him an anointing from God that he was speaking the truth. And they're there with him. And then here Jesus shows up again. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So he says it again. There he is, the one I told you about. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So they were immediately inspired by the Holy Spirit to follow after Jesus. It reminded me of Mark chapter 1 where Jesus is in Galilee and he is um, restating this calling That we're going to look at today, as he calls his first four disciples, but he's there in Galilee, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, verse 16, Mark 1, he saw Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." They immediately left their nets and followed him. That would be like if you were a mechanic working in a garage. And Jesus walks by and says, follow me, you drop your wrenches, walk out of the garage and start following him, or whatever analogy you want to use. If you're a carpenter, you're in the middle of building a house. You drop the hammer, you drop the nails. Probably now it's a nail gun, right? Right? <laughs> and you follow him. That's what they did. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Folks, I witnessed this same phenomenon, and if you saw the movie Jesus Revolution, if you did, you'll probably want to come and see it again June 4th. If you didn't, you definitely want to come. I experienced this same phenomenon in the days of the Jesus movement. Young people desperately searching for the truth. If you were around back then, you remember all the anti-Vietnam War protests, Kent State, where the students were shot. 1968, Chicago, Democratic Convention, chaos. Our, Our world was in a great deal of turmoil. Not that it's not now, but it was then too. And... These young people desperately searching for the truth when confronted with the living Christ. As God began to pour out his spirit and the gospel was going forth in a powerful and dynamic way from many different directions, I saw young people, myself included, literally drop everything to follow Jesus, the Jesus Revolution. So it really does happen. It doesn't just happen in the Bible. It happens over and over again throughout the course of human history. And again, we talk about revival, the Ashbury thing that happened here recently. I haven't heard much lately. But one of the signs of true revival is just what we see here people are willing to drop everything and just follow Jesus, no matter where it takes them, no matter where he leads. Verse 38, then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? What do you seek? To me, I see this as a spiritually loaded question. Remember they came from following John the Baptist. Jesus doesn't know them yet. Are you seeking to be part of the in crowd or are you seeking an intimate personal relationship with God? That's a question that's still relevant today. Sadly, I think there are many, perhaps not so much in this church or churches like this, but in particularly some of the big mega churches where it's more about being part of the in crowd than it is about being in an intimate personal relationship with God. What do you seek? In fact, we have a term for those kinds of churches. It's called seeker-friendly. Seeker-friendly. What does that really mean, seeker-friendly? It means watering down the gospel so people won't get upset and leave. Watering down the gospel, sugarcoating it, diluting it, so that people will be comfortable in your church. You probably notice we don't do that. And notice also they called him rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher. Where are you staying? Based on the testimony of John the Baptist and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, these two recognized at the very least, and they will soon recognize much more than that. But at the very Jesus was a teacher sent from God. They call him, even though they all they knew was the testimony of John. And that inner witness of the Holy Spirit as they interacted with him, they call him rabbi immediately. And by the way, Jesus had the only credentials that really matter. One One of the big rubs against Jesus by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the spiritual leaders in Jerusalem, he didn't go to our seminary. We didn't train this guy. Who does he think he is? well he knows who he is he's the son of God and he had the only credentials that really mattered and so it was perfectly right and appropriate for them to call him rabbi verse 39 he said to them come and see where I'm staying they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day now it was about the 10th hour which would be 4 o'clock the clock begins the Jewish clock begins at 6 in the morning So, the 10th hour, did I get that right? Anyway, it was 4 o'clock. I forget how they count it, but it was 4 o'clock. 8 in the morning. At any rate, Jesus must have been staying somewhere near the Jordan River. Because that's where they met. Jericho is not too far away, so he may have been staying in Jericho. But they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And even though Jesus didn't know them either, it tells us something important about Jesus. For those who are truly spiritually hungry and seeking after him, Jesus has all the time in the world. Sadly, I think sometimes, I've heard people say this God's so busy, I don't want to bother him. <laughs> You know what, if you're seeking after him, you're seeking the truth, you want to know him, he's got all the time in the world for you. And Jesus graciously spends the afternoon with these two men. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Andrew was one of these two men. He was one of the first two to become a follower of Christ. And he actually met Jesus before Peter although we don't hear near as much about Andrew in the rest of the New Testament as we do Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, the Greek Christos, which really again relates back to the original Hebrew word, Mashiach, Messiah. We have found the Messiah. So it only took an instant for them to realize and recognize that Jesus truly was and is the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. So Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Joseph. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. By the way, Andrew, in bringing his brother to Jesus, this is what everyone who meets the Messiah should do. You see what he did? When you realize that you have met the Son of God, the Savior of the world, it should motivate you and inspire you to bring those near and dear to you to him as quickly as possible. Again, sometimes you're met with resistance, are you not? Oh man, I left that. I had this great thing I wanted to read you guys today. I, I either it's buried under here or I left it at home. I left it at home. It's about the Galileans. It's an article called The Amazing Galileans. And we're, we're starting to get to that point now where we learn that the, all of these men who became followers of Christ were from the region of Galilee in the north, around the Sea of Galilee. And as I've mentioned in times past, Israel was not exactly in a, a, a period or a time of spiritual revival. However, in Galilee... The Galileans were known for being particularly religious in the best sense of the word. Very committed, very dedicated to God, to their families. Really committed and dedicated to living a holy, godly life and worship. And they were well-versed in the scriptures, even though they were country folk, if you will. Living around the Sea of Galilee, and then Jesus coming from the hill country of Nazareth, just west of Galilee, Man, I forgot that. It was a great article. Anyway, important to understand that as we move along here. You shall be called Cephas. The Greek is Petros, a stone. It's where we get the English word Peter. But I want to read something interesting to you here. Matthew 16, 15 through 18. Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Remember, they're having this conversation. And he's asking the disciples, what's the word on the street? What are people saying? Who do they, some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Remember? And so on. So he asks them what the people are saying. And he says, what, what do you say? He said to them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. Bold, brash Peter jumping in there. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There it is. He nailed it. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah or John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, just like these two disciples who just met Jesus. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, God the Father through His Holy Spirit, has revealed the truth to Simon Peter to the others that Jesus truly is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I also say to you that you are Peter, again, Petros, but here's where it's really cool, and on this rock, not Petros, but Petra, and I'll tell you why in a minute, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus calls Peter Petros, but he calls himself Petra. Petros, it means a shifting, rolling, or insecure stone. Where Petra is a solid, immovable rock. See, there are those who have tried to use this verse to say that uh, Peter is the cornerstone of the church. He was the first pope. You've heard that, right? Not true. Jesus didn't say upon Petros I will build my church. He said upon Petra I will build my church. On himself he's the solid rock. No human being. And by the way you've got some big surprises coming in some of these movies we're going to be showing. And as much as I've learned over the years i still learned some new stuff. Some shocking things. And I, hearing about people that that I've looked up to and admired over the years, not only in the, in the Christian world, but in the secular world, presidents, world leaders that I've admired. The underpinning satanic, demonic scheme that's been in play since the beginning of time has penetrated and permeated every section of our society and our world today. And so the word of the Lord that came to me that I will share with you, do not trust anybody but God. Now the Bible does say, love hopes all things, love believes all things, love endures all things. We should love one another, trust one another to a degree. But when it comes to truth, the only true source of truth is the word of God. I'm not going to name any names here this morning. Uh, there There are one or two that I was already suspicious of. But others that I've looked up to and admired, and I go, oh boy, okay. The devil got to them too. And he will get to you if you don't guard your heart and your mind. If you don't keep your nose in the book and your knees on the floor and your eyes to the skies, then he can get to you too. And I don't say that because God is not with you and God is not protecting you. But you know what? We're also charged in the Scriptures with guarding our hearts, guarding our own salvation. And the way we do that is by walking in constant submission to God. Every time we try to go off this way or that way and do our own thing, we're, we're walking on dangerous ground. Okay? And again... One of the premier warnings in the scriptures concerning the last days, Jesus uses the word deceived or deception three times in Matthew 24. Why would he do that unless being deceived is a major concern for those living in the last days? It's always been a concern, but it's a concern now more than ever. Because the means by which people can be deceived and seduced are far greater than they've ever been before. Artificial intelligence? Huh? Digital imaging? They can make you see and believe anything they want. I'm amazed at how real some of these animated things look. I saw it was a, a, some kind of a clip or commercial or something for some video game or something. And if, I thought it was a real person. I had to look twice. Wait, no, wait a minute. That's, that's digital Graphics, that's not a real person. We are living in that time. We just studied the book of Revelation, folks. It's right here. We're right there. We cannot back down. We cannot back off. We cannot slack off. One of the clips they showed, and I'd heard it all before, but my memory was refreshed. I talked, I don't know. We'll see what happens here with this message. Uh... I shared, I still haven't ordered the books, I'm going to, Warren B. Smith's new book, Evangelicalism, about the seduction and deception of the church. Okay? The prevailing, there's so much to it, but the prevailing message of the New Age movement, and there's another term now coupled with it that's being used by a lot of so-called Christians, new spirituality, the overriding, and it's in books like The Shack, it's in Sarah Young, all this stuff, that God is in everybody and everything. And they went back over the old Shirley MacLaine stuff I, standing on the beach, I am God. But there are preachers like Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn and other ones who are on tape, on video, publicly proclaiming, I am God. Kenneth Copeland even called himself, I am. They are blasphemers. And millions of Christians have followed after them and studied their teachings and read their books and given them money. And I'm telling you, we are in the days of deception. I'm not God. You're not God. I'm not even Chevy Chase. That'll take you back a ways. But folks, that's the direction it's going. More and more so-called Christians are being seduced into this new age, new spirituality where they're starting to believe that I'm God. And the message is, if God is in everybody and I am God, then I don't need salvation from sin. I'm okay just like I am. I just need to find my inner self. I just need to find the fullness of who I am. Really? I'll tell you who you are. You're a vile, wretched, rotten sinner. That's who you are. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you could be redeemed, you could be forgiven, and you could go to heaven and you will never be God, but you will be with God. All right. I knew this was going to happen. Somehow I knew. So Peter is Petros, a stone or a pebble, if you will. Jesus is the rock. Peter, before he was born again and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he was a shifting, rolling, insecure stone. I like to say it like this. Peter was Pebbles. Jesus is bam, bam. Okay. All right, verse 43, the following day. So it's interesting how that at least half of John's gospel, if not more, is taken up with the last weeks of Jesus' life. But in this first chapter, he's really taking it day by day here, introducing us, first of all, to Jesus as the Word of, the Creator, and now as He begins to call to Himself His disciples. So the following day, Jesus... Oh, I I went back to the... What am I doing? Here we are. I'm messing with my fan. This cord is short. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee because He's down there about 90 miles south, uh, Bethabara, as we talked about, Bethany beyond Jordan, east side of the Jordan River where they're baptizing. He wants to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. So we see he's systematically gathering his 12 disciples. He said to him, follow me. When God calls, you follow. It's that simple. There's no negotiating. Everyone who desires to be a true disciple of Christ must answer this calling. Follow me. What does that tell us? We're to follow. Jesus is to be our leader. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me or to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Perhaps we don't always communicate that as well as we should in terms of evangelizing, preaching the gospel, that helping people to understand And that's why so many of these guys have an incomplete message, like Rick Warren, who is a lot worse than I thought he was, and I already thought he wasn't so great. But just talking about, hey, God loves you, Jesus loves you, just ask him into your heart. Yeah, that's part of it. It's not all of it. The whole message is confess your sins, repent, and then you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You follow where he leads. A lot of people are led to believe that once you receive him, you embrace him, the love of God, well, then he's there to do your bidding. It's the other way around, folks. It's the other way around. We see a lot of that in the church today. You've heard that term, Disneyland Daddy? It's usually applied when a family is broken up, there's been a divorce, parents are no longer living together. Probably. At least historically, they usually go with the mom, so the dad only gets them on the weekend or something, and so he tries to make up for it by buying them all kinds of presents and things, spending money, the Disneyland daddy. Some people think God is our Disneyland daddy, but he's not. By the way, heaven's going to be a lot better than Disneyland. Especially now that Disneyland is so woke. Disney is so woke. Okay. Okay. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. That's located on the north shore of Galilee. Been there several times. Really cool. Some great uh, ruins there and so forth. It's where um, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Jesus goes to heal him. But as we all know, all the apostles were from from Galilee except, interestingly, Judas. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. But they grew up far away from the influence of the stiff-necked Sadducees and Pharisees in Jerusalem. They will, were normal down-to-earth men, and as I mentioned earlier, the Galileans were particularly known for being more pious, more committed, more dedicated than those in the south. Even though Jerusalem was the so-called seat of Judaism, we know the things that Jesus had to say about those men, the Pharisees, the whitened white sepulchers, containing all white on the outside but full of dead men's bones inside. So Jesus chooses his, and even though these guys were down south hanging out with John the Baptist, they were from Galilee, and he's recruiting them now, and he's headed back towards Galilee. Verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And again, this is how the kingdom of God expands. There, again, are a lot of teachings and methodologies and courses and plans on how to, you know, grow a church, church growth. It's a study. Seminaries have studies on church growth. What group should you go after? What demographic should you target? What part of town should you go to? You know, how to start an instant church. But this is how the true kingdom of God expands by one who has found him telling the next one and so on. We see it coming down the chain. Andrew goes and gets Peter. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. A guy by the name of D. Thambaraja Niles said, this has stuck with me over many years, Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. Good, good analogy, isn't it? Good example. Evangelism is, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. Matthew 13, 31 and 32. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is a man took and sowed in his field. Which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Jesus was talking about the expansion, expansion of God's kingdom, planting that seed in the hearts of men and women, starting out very small. And that's been true over the course of the past 2,000 years. The expansion of Christianity all over the Middle East, Asia Minor, over into Europe, over into America. It transformed the world. But again, because we're now in the last days, we're seeing it go the other way. But that's how it expands, folks. A lot of people think the church expands by people like me getting up and preaching on Sundays. That's part of it, but that's not even the, the, the biggest part. The big, Pastor Chuck used to say, sheep begat sheep remember when God created this world and he created all the animal life he talked about each one after their own kind and how when they got into the ark two by two each animal after their own kind because we didn't evolve we were created but now my dog is identifying as a cat I don't get it No, not really Folks, after their own kind, each after their own kind. Sheep begat sheep, Christians begat Christians. And we see that process happening right here with the calling of the disciples. What did they say? We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote These Galileans were more aware of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah than were the so-called spiritual leaders of Israel. Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15 said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet with a big P. Remember how these Pharisees and Levites were asking John the Baptist, Are you the prophet? This is what they were referring to. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him shall you hear. They recognized Jesus as the person in Moses' prophecy. In addition, there are at least 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah that were fulfilled by Jesus. They said by Moses, um, where's my place? Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, They recognize that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip specifically identifies Jesus as the Messiah. I've talked to you many times about the gift of faith. Faith is not something we conjure up with inside of ourselves. Maybe that's what throws a lot of people off. Maybe they spend too much time, too many years, trying to conjure up the faith to believe. It's a gift from God. Ask Him for it. Remember the guy whose son was uh, epileptic, demonized. Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain. The other disciples are there trying to cast it out. They're not getting anywhere. And Jesus challenges the Father on his faith, his belief. And he says, Lord, I believe, but strengthen my faith. There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer. There's nothing wrong with being honest with God and saying, yeah, Lord, I do believe, but I am struggling. Please strengthen my faith. Impart to me that gift of faith that can only come from you. Nathanael said to him, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, again, there's so many little nuggets in here, come and see, come and see. Nathanael said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And again, all those from the region of Galilee were considered less than those from Jerusalem. I almost think of it the way a lot of people look at the southern part of the U.S., A lot of times they're mocked, rednecks, hillbillies. Yet we find some of the strongest believers, strongest churches, most God-fearing, conservative, Bible-believing. They're probably the most mocked region in the country. Would you agree with that? Oh, all those redneck hillbillies and their pickup trucks and their shotguns. That's kind of how it was for Galilee. They didn't have pickup trucks or shotguns. But they were looked down upon as being, you know, not intellectual, you know, not socially evolved and so forth, like hillbillies. And amongst that group, the Nazarenes in particular, those from Nazareth, were really looked down on. John seven fifty through 52, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, the Pharisees, Why did Nicodemus go at night? So nobody would see him going to see Jesus. Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? See, Nick was a closet Christian. They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Are you an idiot also? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. But what they didn't bother to look into and find out was that Jesus was born where? Bethlehem, which was clearly prophesied in the old scriptures. How many people have made judgments about God, about Jesus Christ, about the Bible based on second, third, fourth, fifth-hand information? Never really bothered to check it out for themselves. That's why Nathaniel says to uh, Philip says to Nathaniel, "Come and see. Don't knock him till you've tried him." And that there's just so many great little evangelistic tips in this passage. Yeah, well, I, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. It's all a bunch of baloney. Have, have you ever tried him? Have you ever checked it out? As I know, in the early days, we would often talk about this and. In terms of evangelism, how you challenge someone to simply ask him to reveal himself to you. Lord, if you're real, please show me. I want to know. Don't knock him till you've tried him. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. In the King James Version, it uses the word guile. The word guile is defined in the dictionary as insidious cunning or deception or duplicity. Jesus said Nathanael had no guile, so he is without deception. Really good, really important. is what we've been talking about this morning. In fact, this quality of being without deception is sometimes called integrity or trustworthiness. So Jesus here recognizes Nathanael as someone who's authentic. Later on, Paul would talk about the Bereans how they were more noble than the Thessalonians because the Bereans searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things be so. So rather than criticize Nathanael for his um, skepticism, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, he commends him for being a man of integrity. Uh, One commentator said Nathanael was a straight shooter. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? It's kind of the opposite of the Pharisees and Levites bugging John the Baptist. Who are you? Who are you? Who, who? How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This is interesting because even in his earthly incarnation, Jesus, as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was and is omniscient. That means he knew and knows all things. He saw Nathaniel before Philip even called him. And that's all it took for Nate, the straight shooter. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Rabbi, teacher, Yes, Jesus is our teacher, but it doesn't stop there. That's what some people stop at that point. Well, I don't know about this God stuff. I don't know about the resurrection, but I do think Jesus was a good teacher. Well, great. That and uh, three bucks will get you a small coffee at Starbucks, which they call a tall, I think, don't they? Do you realize in every segment of our society, society, deception is the norm. A small is a tall. A lot of places they don't have small anymore. It starts with medium. And that's that medium? Deception everywhere. The name of the game. That's why you've got to know God. You've got to know Jesus. You've got to know the truth. Rabbi, you are the son of God. Not a son of God, by the way. Which is what The New Agers and the New Spirituality people, if they're being extremely generous, then they might refer to Jesus as a Son of God. One of the manifestations of the Christ consciousness. We got a lot to look at in the next few months, guys. Hope you'll come on Sunday nights. I'd like to do it on Sunday morning, but I got to keep teaching the Word. But I want you all to come for these movies. Not a son of God, the son of God. There can be only one. Not just a man. Obviously, once again, we see divine revelation has been given to Nathaniel. Right back to where we read earlier, Matthew 16, 15. Jesus said to them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Same thing just happened to Nathanael. God has revealed himself, his son, to Nathanael. And by the way, any true encounter with Jesus should produce this same immediate response. You are the son of the living God. And then he says, you're the king of Israel. Nate knew his Old Testament. Nate knew that the Messiah, the true Messiah, would ultimately sit on the throne of David, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So gender really does matter. And the government will be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Some there are some branches of Christianity that teach that we're already in the millennium or it already happened. Um, I'm sadly and greatly disappointed if that's the case. And by the way, if you're God and I'm God, then I'm disgusted. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. You are the king of Israel. Gabriel told Mary when he announces her impending conception. He will be great and we call the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. How do we know we're not in the millennium yet? How do we know Jesus hasn't come yet? Because he's not sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, but he will be very soon. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and in his kingdom there will be no end. Boy, I ran out of water. Jesus answered and said to him, to Nathanael, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We have no literal record of that in the Gospels, although John says at the end of his Gospel, there were so many things that happened with Jesus, all the books in the world couldn't contain all that stuff. But at the very least, this is a metaphor for all the miraculous things the apostles would witness over the next three years. It also alludes to his ascension to heaven from the Mount of Olives, where the angels came, stood there. And his glorious return to earth with the saints, with us and all the heavenly hosts. Exciting things yet to come. So thus endeth chapter 1. So far, we've met Andrew, Peter, Peter, Philip and Nathaniel. We'll meet the rest of the guys in the next coming weeks. Let's stand. As we go to the Lord in prayer, I notice we didn't have any visitors today, but I'm not going to assume that every single person here is in right relationship with God. So I encourage you, if you're not, I think you know how to do that. You simply need to humble yourself before God. Confess your sins. Repent, which means you tell God, I want to turn and go the other way. I want to turn from following my way begin to follow your way. Please help me. Give me the strength. Wash me with the precious blood of Christ. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come and live inside of me and be my leader. You could be a believer here today You may not be letting God lead you the way that he wants to, which is totally and absolutely. Now, I'm not saying, okay, Lord, should I cut my fingernails today? I cut mine this morning. Why? Because they were too long. You know, God gave you a brain. He gave you common sense. But there are many, many things in life. Yes, we need to be asking for the Lord's guidance and direction for his leading. And we're not doing it as much as we should. I know that. So I'd encourage you as we go to the Lord in prayer, just yield yourself over to Him. Submit to Him. If, there's, if the Holy Spirit reveals something in your life that you need to repent of, do it. And again, as we talked about last week, ask, seek, knock. He loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads. If you have a prayer request, please raise your hand. Got a lot of those every week. Father, you see each one. You see each hand. You see the person that it's attached to. Lord, you know what's on each heart, what's in each mind. Father, for some it could be health issues. Lord, our bodies are not perfect yet. They will be. One day we will receive our eternal, immortal, imperishable, glorified bodies. We haven't got them yet. So we pray for healing, for arthritis for heart disease, for cancer, for lung disease, for um, circulatory issues of of the arteries, the veins, the capillaries, the blood vessels. Lord, whatever it is, you know us inside and out. You are the great physician. We pray that you'd pour out your healing oil upon all those here today needing a touch in their physical bodies. And we pray for encouragement, for strength, Lord, that you'd help us to rise above our circumstances and realize and recognize that in Christ Jesus we are seated in heavenly places. Lord, that we are not victims, we are victors. Help us to walk in the victory that you've given us. Lord, that applies not only for physical health, but mental, emotional. Father, sometimes those things can be just as overwhelming, if not more so, than the physical issues. We pray for deliverance from depression, anxiety, fear, phobias. Lord, many of us have different kinds of phobias. We ask for deliverance. Lord, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Please heal our minds, our hearts, our minds, and our physical bodies. Lord, help us to to do the things that we need to do Lord, we're reminded that King Saul lost his mind because of his disobedience and his sin. Lord, we know that sometimes sin does lead to physical illness, and it can lead to mental illness. Help us to repent of any and every sin that we've not repented of. Father, we lift up damaged, broken marriages, friendships, relationships. We know that the enemy's strategy is to divide and conquer. We ask that you would heal marriages that are, that are broken or struggling. Lord, the enemy would not prevail when it comes to tearing apart our families. But Lord, for those who have already been torn apart, we know that there's still healing available. We ask you to give us wisdom and guidance moving forward on how to best facilitate that healing and whenever possible, reconciliation. Lord, we lift up economic issues It's on many people's minds today. We've been kind of spoiled in this country, Lord. We've been abundant, we've been plentiful. Things aren't going so great right now, but you are our provider. Help us to keep our eyes on you, to trust you, to look to you, to provide for our needs. And Lord, give us wisdom to know the difference between our wants and our needs, and to be good stewards over the resources you've given us so that you can continue to bless us. Thank you, God thank you, Lord. Help us to be the followers you've called us to be, and we thank you that you will lead us in green pastures. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.